You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Now, there's always a danger in teaching a letter in the Bible in chunks because you miss the context a lot of times. The first word in this uh, portion of the letter for me is so. Some of you may say therefore. So and therefore is a turn of speech. Paul is assuming that we are tracking with him up to this point. Now, some of you might have read Colossians through the week. Some of you might not have. So it helps us to understand what Paul has been saying. And I know we've been talking about this ad nausea, but it's important to just remember that Paul is about to put skin on the gospel in a unique way and everything he's been saying. And so here now are our implications to everything he's been discussing. It's about to get practical, as many of us think practical is. So, if you have been raised with Christ or with the Messiah, seek what is above, where the Messiah is, seated at the right hand of God, Set your minds on what is above, not on what is on the earth. If you have died and your life is hidden with the Messiah in God, when the Messiah, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. George was an old man, and he'd come to the end of his life. His daughter asked the local priest if he would pray with him. And when the priest arrived, he found... George lying in the bed with his head propped up on two pillows and an empty chair beside his bed. The priest assumed that George was expecting his visit. And so when the priest arrived, he introduced himself and said, I noticed you must have been expecting my visit today with this chair beside your bed. And George said, "Uh, who are you? He said, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I'm the new priest at the local parish, and again, I, I thought you were expecting me to show up today. George said, yeah, yeah, the chair. And George said, would you mind closing the door? Puzzled, the priest shut the door, and George began to explain, I've never told anyone about this before, not even my sweet daughter, but all my life I've never felt as though I've worshipped truly with God on a daily basis. All my life, I've never really felt as though I have communed with God and consistently and in prayer. And at the worship service, I'd hear my pastor always talking about a life of prayer and a life of worship and a life that communes and enjoys the presence of God. He said, but it all went over my head. And finally, I asked him one day in just sheer frustration, I get nothing out of your sermons, pastor. Something a pastor loves to hear. This communing with God and this worship, I, it just all goes over my head. pastor leads him to his office and reaches into his desk drawer and hands him this thick book. pastor says, hey, George, read this book. It's written by a Swiss theologian, one of the best books on meditation and prayer in the 20th century. And George gratefully received it, he said. And George went on and explained to the priest, I... I read the first page, and after reading the first page, I'd already looked up 12 words in the dictionary and realized that this book was not helping me at all, priest. He said, so I just 
turned the book into the pastor and told him thank you, and then under my breath said for nothing. Well, George said, that's been the story of my life until I met a friend who told me the truth of what it means to commune with God. He told me, priest, that really communing with God is just setting my mind to a different place in this world and setting my mind to Christ and realizing that God is communing with me daily whether I feel Him or not because God promised that He would be with me all my days. And He reminded me this. He reminded me that prayer is just like a normal conversation with God. And so priest, this is what my friend told me to do. He said, sit down in a chair and place an empty chair in front of you. My friend said, priest. And he said, I want you to imagine that Jesus is sitting in that other chair. And I just want you to talk to him just as you're talking to me. Now, priest, I thought that this was a little spooky and strange, but my friend quickly reminded me that it's not spooky and strange at all. It's exactly what God promised to do, that he would walk with us all our days. And so, priest, I have been doing this ever since. It's changed my heart, and it's changed my life. And over these last two years that I have been bedridden, this has been everything for me, communing with Jesus daily and what you see an empty chair Paul says in his letter so if you've been raised with the Messiah seek what is above where the Messiah is seated at the right hand of God set your minds on what is above and not on the earth for you have died and your life is hidden with the Messiah and God and when the Messiah who is your life is revealed then you will also be revealed with him in glory For years, there's been a campaign, this idea of think globally and act locally. It's been this campaign designed to encourage us to think in terms of the greater world and all of those around us and all of the the bigger implications to how we live on a local level. And that's simply what it means, is when you act and, and live on a local level, let the reality of others in the whole world inform what you do and how you do it. I think Paul really is carrying a similar message to the Colossians, except he wouldn't say, think globally and act locally. I think what Paul would say is, think eternally, live fully. Because when we begin to think eternally, we do begin to live fully. It's often been said that there are Christians who have their minds set on heaven so much they're no earthly good. That's not what Paul is calling us to do. Paul's not inviting us to sing songs like, His world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. One of my favorite songs. Theologically, maybe not so much. That's not where Paul's going here, I don't think. See, when Paul, one point Paul makes repetitively throughout Colossians is that Christians in Christ are bound up together in the gospel. And even here in this text, Paul is reminding us, you have died with Christ. Look at the text. You have died with Christ. You have been raised with Christ, and you will also appear with Christ. Just as Jesus died on the cross and was raised from the dead and will appear at the second coming, so we have died. We have been raised to new life, and we will certainly appear with him. And then Paul says, now Jesus sits at the right hand of God, which is an allusion to his kingship. Jesus is king. 
And the link between us and Jesus is so strong, Paul thinks, that he even says that your life is hidden with God. And he, he says, so, so do not set your minds on things on the earth. Set your minds on what is above because your life is hidden with God because you've died with Christ. And he uses really in this four verses, he uses baptism language. It's Romans 6 kind of language. You've died with Christ. You've been raised with Christ to walk, as Paul would even say in Romans 6, a new way of life. And, and then Paul now is, is really, and when you look at it in chapter 2, what did he talk about? He talked about baptism. He reminded them of their baptism. And now Paul uses baptism language. And now he's wanting them to understand the consequences of this baptism. And the consequences of this baptism is a oneness with Christ, a hiddenness in Christ, a Christ becoming our secure source of life, and the implications being so strong that we should now begin to no longer set our minds on things on the world and, and matters of the world, but set our minds on where our home is, where our citizenship is. And so he calls us. He says, I want you to think eternally. And then you'll live fully. To live renewed, as reborn people, we have to think renewed. And I think ultimately that's where Paul is going because renewal begins when we concentrate our minds on Christ. When you look at verse 10 of chapter 3, look at this. Verse 10 of chapter 3. And hath put on the new man who is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of his creator. No wonder why Paul then says, I want you to set your minds. I want you to think differently now. You think differently now because you are different now. See, the verb set your mind on occurs 26 times in the New Testament, 23 of which are used by Paul. Paul had more to say about the mind than anyone else in the New Testament because there's some power in the mind. And this isn't merely a mind of a matter. This is a set your mind where it matters. And Paul is not saying that the earth doesn't matter because the matters of this earth are important according to Jesus. He is saying, set your mind, rest your mind on the eternal things. Paul even said in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Paul believed that changed living starts with changed thinking. Zig Ziglar, one of my favorite salesmen, when I was in sales, I listened to his books on tape everywhere I traveled, read several of his books. He used to always say, get rid of the stinking thinking. Your input will always determine your output, and that will always affect your outlook. Change living happens when we begin changing the way we think. Or, or to put it another way, it's this idea of orthodox and orthoprax, or Praxis or orthodoxy or orthopraxis. Praxis. Some of you might have heard it. Orthodoxy is this idea of thinking and believing right. It's right doctrine, right thinking, right beliefs. Orthopraxy is practicing the right things. And so what we do as Christians is we move immediately to orthopraxy and eliminate the orthodoxy. In other words, we think that the only way to change our lives is change what we do. That is not where Paul is tracking. That's not what Romans 12, 1 and 2 says. That's not where Paul is going here. He's saying you will change how you live and you'll change what you do when you change how you think, when you change where you set your mind. And so he says, I want you to think eternally. I want you to set your mind on the eternal. And I want you to pursue those things. 
Don't set your mind on things on the earth. And by the way, when you do look, just to make sense of me talking about that incredible hymn that I really like, not being probably the most accurate hymn for us to sing, the truth of it is in this text, anytime you see the word earth and heaven contrasted, like in this text, it doesn't mean the literal earth. It literally means the matters of this world. Don't set your mind in the matters of this world, Fred. Don't live as though this is the only life you have. Live as though you have a better life to come which will radically impact the way you live here. Don't live as though you were raised in South Georgia and raised to have certain prejudices just because people on that side of the world might and your family might have. I want you to think eternally and see people through the lens of heaven so that you will love them differently here. And this is a think eternally, live fully kind of idea. And this is exactly where Paul is tracking. And so Paul in verse 3 and verse 4 says, For you have died and your life is hidden with the Messiah and God. And when the Messiah who is your life is revealed, you will also be revealed with him in glory. See, this now, he's talking about glory. He's talking about the second coming of Jesus. And he's saying that in a very real way, the second coming of Jesus, though it awaits, something new has already happened. And so I wanted to offer us just a couple of things today that I, that I personally think is, is really important in understanding this text and understanding even Scripture. See, because what Paul is trying to do, church, is he's trying to help them understand that they're no longer products of the old creation or the old age. We are now products, we are reborn into a new creation, therefore we are new creations and we are called to live in the new age. Now, for some of you, that may seem kind of weird and kind of highfalutin and kind of scary. Here's what I think it means. Because this idea of old age or old creation versus new age and new creation comes right out of the New Testament. See, because here's what happened. On Easter morning when Christ resurrected from the dead, new creation began. It sort of became a regenesis, if you will. A redo, where God in the resurrected Messiah is making all things new in the here and in the now. He's renewing us and the world, and it began in resurrection. It began on Easter morn. In the life of Jesus, he inaugurated the kingdom of God when he announced that the rule and the reign of God has been made available to all people through me. And then in the resurrection, he ushered in this amazing kingdom that we can live into and that we can experience where God is making all things new. He's making dead people alive again. And he's giving them a new way of seeing the world. And he's giving them a new, he wants to create a new world through them. See, this makes sense of Jesus' prayer. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's the first part of that? May your kingdom come. See, it makes sense of Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, where he says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation because what? Old things have passed away. New things have what? come new things new everything god is doing something new now it begins with me and you that i think is what paul meant in colossians when he said in chapter 1 verse 13 and 14 that jesus or god and jesus has rescued us from the domain of darkness from the old age from the old creation because those are all things that are passing away and he's transferred us into the son of the of the son he loves where redemption and forgiveness of sins is found 
See, this makes sense in Colossians chapter 2, verse 20, because if you look at the text, he says, you've died with Christ to the elemental forces of this world. Why do you live as though you still belong to the world, to the old age, to the old creation? Because you now are new creation people. You're new people. And so what you need to do, Paul says, you need to think that way about yourself, and you need to think that way about the world. The world doesn't have to go to hell in a handbasket. If God's people will bring heaven to earth, Because in a very real way in the resurrection, a little bit of heaven came. Because salvation has sprung up from the ground and redemption is now made possible. It can be a new place. It can be a new world. See, theologians for years have called this the already not yet reality of the kingdom. And I did want to give that to you. The already slash not yet. Here's here's what it means. That the kingdom of God and the resurrected Jesus is already present, but not yet fully. That new creation has already begun, but not yet fully. That you in Christ can experience the purest of love and joy and peace right now in the here and now already, but not yet fully. Not until Jesus returns. That you and I can can live in the presence of God. We can commune in the presence of God right here in the here and now, but not yet fully. It's an already not yet theology. It's an already not yet understanding. And Paul is inviting us to think this way, to think eternally and live fully, to not get lost and think that the already means that it's just all hopeless and this world is not my home and I'm just waiting for heaven to come. That's not what Jesus called us to do. Jesus called us to live fully even in this life, in the presence and the reality of God because in the resurrected Jesus, new creation has begun. We are made new creations and we are called to Usher in the product, the byproduct, the things that flow from the kingdom of God, which is what? Love and justice and mercy and peace. That's who we are. That's our identity now. And when we begin to think about this and set our minds on this, we live differently. See, John, the revelator, called a taste of the already not yet. And he was actually given the vision of the full. Revelation 21, 8, 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heavens and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea no longer existed. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared like a bride adorned for a husband. And then I heard with a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will, no, will exist no longer because the previous things have passed away. Then the, old, the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, right, because these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give water as a gift to the thirsty from the spring of life. The victor will inherit these things. And I will be as God and he will be my son. But the cowards, unbelievers, vile murderers, sexually immoral sorcerers, idolaters and all liars with their shame will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the... Second, death. See, the truth is, in the resurrection of Christ, the new creation began 
but it is not yet fully. See, we have hope because of what Jesus ushered into the world. He ushered in tangible hope. Paul is asking us to live this way. And so we have a new identity. But then Paul, look, if you will, at Colossians 3, says that when the Messiah, who is your life, is revealed, then you will be revealed with him in glory, verse 4. What in the world does that mean? And we gotta, we got to talk about the text. That what does it mean that we'll be revealed with him in glory? And, and, and it's easy to say, well, we'll appear with him. But what, but what does that mean? Like, what kind of hope can we draw from that? Because Paul is assuming we can draw some hope and set our minds on it. And if we don't know what it, what have an idea as to what Paul is talking about, how do we set our minds on something we have no clue of? And here's what I think Paul is saying, is that there's still a mystery untold as to who we really and truly are, even though we're in Christ. And here's how I think it works out. See, Paul, Paul as viewed through the lens of an old creation or an old age, is really just a criminal in prison at this point. He's a rather eccentric Jew, according to the Romans. And he's really a thorn in, in the side of the Jewish people, and he's just a blasphemous Gentile. That's all he is to those outside of the kingdom. But to those inside of the kingdom, Paul is an apostle of God, son of the king of kings. See, the Colossians, to those outside of the kingdom, are just a bunch of ex-pagans living in a two-bit town. But to those inside of the kingdom, the Colossian Christians are renewed and redeemed and different, sons of the king of kings. Members and citizens, not just of a two-bit town, but members and citizens of the kingdom of God. See, this is how it tracks in our real world. See, because when we begin to think eternally and live fully, it changes the way we live. It gets on to the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus proclaimed because the new age and the new creation, the kingdom of God, what Jesus has done through his resurrection, it boldly proclaims that this now is where those who are poor in spirit, the ones who have had life sucked out of them, who are viewed as hopeless by the world, are actually blessed because they've inherited God's kingdom because Jesus is their king. This is where those who mourn and weep, the ones viewed by the world as inconvenient, needy burdens, are actually blessed and actually find comfort because Jesus is their king. This is where those who are gentle and meek, the ones who the world would call unworthy and weak, are actually blessed and made strong because Jesus is their king. See, this is a world where those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the ones who long for the wrongs and injustices of this world to be set right, are actually blessed and find their hearts filled with peace because Jesus is their king. This is, this is where the merciful, the ones viewed as foolish because they do not give people what they deserve, they're actually blessed because they receive mercy from the most high judge because Jesus is their king. See, this is a world, this new creation world, where the pure in heart, the ones viewed as naive idealists about the world in terms of matters of this world, are actually wise and blessed because they see God, because Jesus is their king. This is where those who are peacemakers, the one the world would label as pushovers, are actually blessed because... 
they are called sons and daughters of God. This is where those who are persecuted for doing what is just and right, the ones the world mocks and places on death row because of their faith, are actually called blessed because they understand the kingdom of heaven is theirs in the present because Jesus is their king. See, when we begin to think differently about this world and about ourselves, we will live differently in this world. In this broken world, God's kingdom is among us, making all things new right now. In church, he's doing that because he's offering truth over lies. He's offering right over wrong. He's offering love over hatred. He's offering peace over strife. See, when we live in this new world, we discover that in Christ, God is offering forgiveness over guilt. He's offering second chances over failure. And so Paul says, I want you to set your mind on these things. See, when we do, when we renew our minds in light of this truth, we will change the way we live in this world. What matters will be changed. And we will no longer become trapped by the realities of this old creation, this rebellious and sin-stained world, but we will find that we are freed because of Easter morn. We are freed to live because we are new creations. And see, here's the truth of the text, and here's where Paul's going to go for the next several verses, church. He's not just going to stop there with, okay, so change the way you think. He's going to talk about what changed thinking looks like when lived out, and here simply is what it looks like. It looks like a person who offers love over hatred, who offers right over wrong, who offers truth over lies, who offers peace over strife. It looks like a person who offers forgiveness over guilt. It looks like a person who offers second chances over failure. That's really the rest of the letter. And so this is probably why Paul prayed, if you have your Bibles, Colossians 1, 9 through 10. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We're asking that you may be filled with what? the knowledge of his will in all things. In all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the what? Knowledge of God. As we set our minds to what is above, our lives will begin to change. And that's the truth of this text, that we can live life fully now because of the true life to come. And so Paul invites us to think eternally and live fully. The question for you and for me is, do you think that way? Do you set your minds on the things that are above? Or are we so wrapped up on the things that are below, we can't see straight? And we live differently. We don't live as we know we are empowered and created to live because we're not thinking the way we were empowered and created to think. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to offer just six very practical things for you. And this is going to be on the back of your conversation guide. 
I think in order to think differently, we're going to have to develop some practices that encourage us to think differently. So first, I just want to offer the most basic of things. Memorize Scripture. This will set your mind to what is right. This will set your mind to the things that are eternal. This alone can renew your mind. And when I say memorize Scripture, I'm not necessarily suggesting you know, a boatload of Scripture. Philippians 2.5, anybody know it? Make your attitude like that of Christ Jesus. That alone is a beautiful Scripture to memorize and to think through through the day. Hey, I have a choice to make in how I live my life today. Take a short little verse of Scripture, maybe a handful of words. If you want to be aggressive, then you know, memorize Colossians 1, 15 to 20. That's what I've been trying to do. To help me, I used to write small verses on a post-it note. And I would put them on my bathroom mirror, and as I brushed my teeth, I would just repeat that verse in my head over and over and over again. Another thing I used to do is I used to put a post-it note next to my speedometer in my car. Yeah, Christians read scripture and drive, not just text and drive. I would, when, I, when I got to a red light, I would read the post-it note and I would say it over and over again as I'm awaiting the red light. It's not an issue of time, it's an issue of setting your minds. The second thing I wanted to invite you to practice is what's called the Jesus Prayer. This has been around for centuries, and the Jesus Prayer is rooted actually in the name of Jesus himself as God who saves, and it is actually rooted in scriptural texts, such as when the blind man cried out uh, for, for Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, or when the ten lepers called out to Jesus, take pity on us, or, or when the, the, the tax collector cried out in his prayer, uh, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, for centuries, Christians have entitled this the Jesus Prayer, and it's simply the short, and its shortest version is, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, and here's how I would invite you to practice it. This prayer is actually created to be practiced in your breathing. As you inhale, say, Lord Jesus Christ. As you exhale, say in your head, have mercy on me. This prayer gets me through some days. I slow my breathing, I say in my heart, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. And you'll be surprised what this will do to your mind. This is turning your mind to the one who offers you mercy. Third, you can memorize the Lord's Prayer. What's called the Lord's Prayer, and we all, most of us who might have grown up in a church setting probably know this, and Matter of fact, we might only know it in the King James Version. And so if you do, like me, I invite you to learn it through another version. Not that the King James Version is bad. Just learn it in a different language for you. Maybe even learn it so well that you say it in your own language. Every night for two months we have prayed this with Ian. And so my three-year-old has memorized this prayer. Don't let my three-year-old outdo you. If he can memorize the prayer, you can too. It comes with setting your mind to say it regularly in your life. Hang on every beautiful word. I love it. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is a call to mission in my life. Do not lead me into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Points me to the rescuer. The Lord's Prayer. The fourth thing I would suggest is pray the Psalms. Find a psalm that speaks to you. Maybe Psalm 23, maybe Psalm 139. Change the pronouns in the psalm to you and to me. And pray that psalm slowly. Hang on every word and just let it soak. 
Listen to God and watch it change your mind. Five minutes. Five minutes. Once a week. The fifth thing I would suggest is simple. Just read the Bible. Read the Bible to familiarize yourself with the grand narrative of God in this world. And I'm inviting you to read it for five minutes. We get very aggressive and we go on to these like year-long Bible programs. We're going to read the Bible in a year. And then like come, you know, we get into Leviticus and we stop. It's like, yeah, <laughs> I don't even know why that's in the Bible. And we move on and we want to get to Revelation real fast. Five minutes a day, just choose Colossians, choose Ephesians, choose Genesis. Just read the Bible five minutes a day. Don't, don't worry about trying to study it. Let it get inside of you. Let the story capture you. Another suggestion I would add with reading the Bible is a chronological Bible. There's a great, great version called The Story. And it's an NIV chronological Bible that's just beautiful and it flows like it just tells the continuous story of God. And a chronological Bible, all it does is it takes the timeline of the Bible and sets it in order. Because the Bible's not set out in order. That's why when you get to the Minor Prophets, you're all messed up. Hey, what's going on? And it just tells it in order. It just reads it like a story, which is what God is trying to communicate to us is how to live in a story. I would encourage you to buy that. The sixth thing I would encourage you to do is use the practical ways to live missionally in your bulletin. Just serve. Serve. It's hard to keep your mind on yourself when you're serving. It's, it's easy to think about why you're serving when you're serving. Live on mission. See, church, the truth of it is, you can't change your life by changing what you do. We change our lives by changing how we think, and then the Holy Spirit gives us the strength to change our lives. But the problem is we never renew our minds. And over and over again, Paul is saying, renew your mind, set your mind, think differently. Realize you are living as the kingdom of God, as a citizen of the kingdom of God in this new creation, this new world that he's ushered in in Jesus. And now go make this world tangible to those who need to see it and taste it. Live as though, Paul would say, as Christ is your life. You remember George. The priest was deeply moved by George's story. And he continued George on his journey. He encouraged him. And he anointed him with oil and prayed over him. And the priest left with a humble heart at George's childlike faith. Two nights later, the daughter called to tell the priest that her daddy George had died that afternoon. The priest said, did he seem in peace? And she said, yes, when I left... At two o'clock, he kissed me on the cheek, told me a corny joke as always, and sent me on my way. And when I got back from the store an hour later, I found him dead. She said, but something was strange. As a matter of fact, it was, it was disturbing. Apparently, just before Daddy had died, he leaned over and rested his head on that chair beside his bed. And the priest knew that George had passed into the next life with his head resting in the lap of God. This is what it means to set your mind on things in the heavens. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are asking that you fill us with the knowledge of your will and all wisdom. 
and spiritual understanding. So that we may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of who you are. May May we be strengthened with all power according to your glorious might. For all endurance and patience with joy giving you thanks because you have enabled us to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. Thank you for rescuing us from the domain of darkness and transferring us into the kingdom of the Son you love, our Lord and King, where our redemption and our forgiveness and our hope and our new life in the here and now and our secure life in the forever is found. We praise you and thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you.